another episode of Float Your Vote. Hello, Float everybody. I'm George Sabados, and my I'm sidekick Brett over there is Brett pa- pa- Pattinson. Brett Pattinson. Who sometimes forgets his surname. But, Brettie boy, who do we have on today? Surely you haven't forgotten. No, we have Mandy DeSantos today. Miss Ms. DeSantos. I'm, assume, I'm assuming it would be Amanda DeSantos. But I think so. Well, we'll we'll get that from her, will we? But, um, you know, tell us a little bit about her. She's a foodie. Love that. Love food, as you can tell. Well, hopefully she brings some food into the studio mm. today. With a name like DeSantos, you'd think she really loves food. But what is she famous for? Well, she has a book, but food is her game with for kids, basically. Um, she runs cooking classes. She has delivery a delivery catering business. Is that um, right? But her main claim to fame is that she has a book, a children's book called At the Family Table. All right. Well, why don't we get her in? Let's get Mandy in. to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Why do you have an English inflection to your uh, to your? No, that's me being proper. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. But also because of my husband, I think. You know, when you've got international people, they speak yeah. different. Yes, they do. <laughs> My parents were international people. They spoke very different because I got laughed at first day of primary school. Oh, with your intonation on different words and things? You know, like uh, I couldn't couldn't say the word beetroot. It was beef root. Oh, that's gorgeous, though. I love it. I just crack up. What parents? I love it. That's my book. My book's four different families from around the world for for food. You know, we laughed at, well, not me, but in those days, people laughed at people from overseas. They laughed at me. But now it's like, where's your food? Where's the local Greek? Where's the local Italian? Where's the local Chinese? The kids laughed at me, and I remember steaming on the inside, thinking I'm going to beat every one of you. Yeah. In English, and, and, I, and, and, I, you did. and I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so welcome, Mandy. Thank you. We're welcome. now. We're now. Are we live? Oh, are now. we live? Okay. Yes, the we whole world's that. listening. Did, by the way, did they catch? Did you what say beefroot? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to say it that way. This is fruit. George George or, uh, Effie Sabados or, <laughs> or Akaman. <laughs> Akaman. So. Is it Dos Santos? Dos Santos. Of Saint Spread. How, how, how would your husband say it? Dos Santos. No one you marry. That's right. Yeah, but that's Smith in Brazil. Everybody's Santos or Dos that's Santos. Correct. So I have a thousand cousins here, you yeah, know, who aren't obviously, but everyone's Dos Santos. So where do we start, George, today? Your your family, okay, your family. parents, yeah. your siblings. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about your your 
well, where you grew up and your upbringing. Yeah, great. So um, my mum mom and dad are Peter and Leslie, and I grew hello. up... Hello. <laughs> Thanks for looking after Chimmy today. Uh, they, I grew up in Kalara for my younger years on the leafy North Shore, which was just beautiful. Mm. Um, and we moved to Melbourne for a couple of years with my dad's work, and then we came back. My parents are originally from Melbourne, actually, so oh, right. all my family lived down in Melbourne. Uh, and then came back and I finished school here. Um, did university here in Sydney, but did a year down in uh, Melbourne because of a boy. So I've always yeah. kind of been tied a bit to Melbourne. Um, came back, finished, then met my beautiful husband, who is Brazilian, Marco. He'd been here for a year or so. And whirlwind. And now we're here with three children of... Our own little brozies, Brazilian Aussies. Where did you Where did you meet hubby? <laughs> hubby, we met at a restaurant, Honolulu Grill, down at North Stain. He the was Honolulu the kitchen hangi, and <laughs> I was the waitress. <laughs> he learned when he. Oh, this is quite funny. The first things he learned when he arrived in Australia was, "Hello, my name is Marco. I am a hajj worker. I want to be a kitchen hangi." <laughs> with a Brazilian sort of Portuguese That's accent. So Portuguese. Mm, so then, um, yeah, we met there. And pashing in the cool room, oh, and then pashing in the yeah, cool room. Yeah, pashing in the you cool room over chocolate bananas. Yeah, I was twenty-three. Wow. Yeah, and uh, yeah, over chocolate banana bread, and then yeah, just then life. So I guess. Tell us about tell us about your father. What did your mother and father do? My mum is a physiotherapist, or she's no longer practicing, but she's a physio. And my father is a businessman in food, actually. So work for okay. sort of um, FMCG companies. Is um, that working. where you got your love for food? Or? Oh, I've got my love from food from my family and just in general. But I guess I when I loved food so much and deciding what to do after school when you're a 17 year old, what do you do? And he was like, you can, there's lots of work in food science. So, um, took that path for a degree to do food science and technology. Did you love it? I, I didn't love studying it. It was a great degree, great people. I took on an arts degree as well. Um, Latin American studies, how to meet a husband, (laughs) but actually I was thinking just in the car and perhaps you asked that was I, my arts degree, I really recommend actually doing combined degrees for anyone out there who's about to choose study, just because the science was really practical and was like, get a job. But the arts was let's learn about life, learn how to talk with people or different kinds of people, Mm. argue a point um, respectfully and stuff like that. And then obviously you learnt Spanish, but that didn't really so didn't really help me very much. At home, do you speak Spanish uh, and English? Or, well, or Portuguese, Portuguese is Portuguese. Brazil. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. So, I mean, I can talk um, like basic, basic Portuguese. I can't have a political it's discussion. Slightly it's slightly different. It's slightly different. Than Spanish, so it's, it's yeah. very different, actually. Yeah, that's, oh, that's, the, that's very the Portuguese. Yes. The, Portuguese, the Portugal Portuguese is very like that. The, the Brazilians talk like this. They always talk like that all it's the time. Lyrical, right? Yeah, no, 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 no. But we do talk a bit of Portuguese at home. Well, Marco's from Rio Grande do Sul, and that's the very south of Brazil, and they're very almost. Um, he always talks about he's not the samba, he's a gaucho, which is the sort of Argentinians and the Uruguayans. So that's that real kind of cowboy, real macho yeah. kind of thing, although yeah. he's not really like that. But he's very passionate of his his culture down there. So he identifies very much as being a gaucho rather than being as Brazilian. So I wonder if that's similar to the, in tango, um, gaucho, isn't it? Yeah, it's it? the same. Right. Isn't yeah. gaucho uh, another word for caballero? Like yeah, it's a cowboy. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. cowboy. So they, they have a very distinct... Yeah. It's a dance style? 
Yeah, well, maybe the um, the Argentinians, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, Marco. I mean, he's a very good dancer, my oh, husband. Yeah, he's got good be. hips. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, no, they're very. They identify themselves. I mean, they're of the land of the of the animal and of the the cowboy kind of style of thing. But very patriarch's not the right word because it wasn't a country, but very. Statist, I guess. I'm not so they don't sure. prance around. They're not prima donnas. They're very. I don't know. I think all Latin Americans are a little bit prima donna, whether they're <laughs> wherever they live. There's a little bit of a flounce there, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's still very right. primal, I think. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> Strutting peacocks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's. And let's... I forgot my brother. Sorry, I have a brother. My brother, oh, Michael. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Mike. Michael. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Mike. Mike lives in China. Uh, he's married to a Chinese lady who lives in Shanghai um, and has lived there on and off for years. And then I have another brother who passed Way. His name is Timothy, and that's who my son's named after. Wow. Make sure I so include my got, siblings. So Tim. Does he get Tim, Tim or Timmy? No, he's Chimacho. Oh, Chimacho. Portuguese, yeah. So he's Chimmy, Chicky Chimmy. Ah. Yeah. So <laughs> well, let's get I, down I, to business. Let's get, okay, go. So why are you here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked you the same thing. <laughs> no, so, so I came across your article yeah. um, looking at, you know, whether it's possible to um, live a life without any waste f- being produced at home. And your article was about your family's attempt yeah. to go zero, almost yeah. zero. How'd that go for you? Yeah, well, I guess it started quite a few years ago. I remember um, when we moved to Narrabeen, that's actually when it started. So we um, moved to Narrabeen, which is on the beach, on the northern beaches in Sydney, and there was some huge storms after we moved and all the waste and um, rubbish was up onto the beach and it really, really shocked me. I come from a food background, food science was saying before, and nutrition, um, and I've worked with processed foods a lot and I used to sort of really analyse food in terms of its nutritional content, in terms of the numbers, what goes on the packet and stuff like that. Um, obviously, I've moved more into sort of whole foods kind of area, but when I just stood there with the rubbish looking at me, I was like, you know, we're trying to figure out what to eat all the time. The problem is we're eating all this food that's wrapped in plastic. Like if we eat the whole foods, we wouldn't have this plastic. And it was just so confronting to me just seeing all that rubbish. And the majority of it was food related. I mean, there was things like fishing things or ropes or whatever, but the plastic bottles, the lids of the plastic bottles, the even the chupa chup sort of sticks, or pe- I've found out now that they're more ear cleaners because those sticks in the ear cleaner gets flushed down the toilet. Uh, um, you know, just uh, soft plastic wrappers and all different things. Um, being on the Northern Beaches, there's lots of cafes along that lot so a lot of waste that would come down from the cafes and things like that so coffee cups and lids and and um uh fast food company um, containers and stuff like that and it was just so confronting and I was really really upset by it and we were due to go to Hawaii um that um in a couple of months and I said when we get back from Hawaii I'm really going to give this a good go we're in an apartment how can I do this in an apartment and just trying to think through all the different things you know I already used um uh, reusable bags at the supermarket and stuff like that but really went basically what you did George and went on Google like how can I kind of do this and looking at different resources and there are some amazing people out there that do that there's Bea Johnson I can't pronounce the last name um, overseas there's a lady here Rogue Ginger I think is a young lady that does a lot of stuff in Australia and yeah there's lots of people that do it so um, just really took that on board and how can I bring that into my home and the more and more I did it I realized well 
the more and more you do it, the better you eat as well, because you're more conscious of what you're purchasing um, from a food perspective, but also, and your background being cosmetics, when you sort of think about what goes into your products. I mean, I never thought about cosmetics, what goes mm. into my products or, so I did think about um, like dishwashing liquids or um, spray, like cleaning things and stuff like that. But the more and more I looked into it, I realized that if we use less um, packaging, we would have a better product that was better for the environment, definitely, but also better for um, myself and my family and my children. Um, yeah, I find when you go to the supermarket now, it's very difficult to avoid all of what we're talking about, you know, especially with fruit and vegetables. Yeah. And, um, you know, even though, you know, we, we try to use those reusable bags, it's still very difficult if you if you're price conscious as well. Yeah, and I think that's the hardest thing. I mean, obviously in Australia we don't have much competition. We've got some really big supermarkets and people, majority of Australia would have to go to them. If you're outside metropolitan Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane perhaps, you have to really go to those big two guys. You don't really have a choice. And it is very frustrating going there because, you know, they have the self-service sort of opportunities and when you have self-service, they want you to scan a barcode. They don't want you to be weighing loose produce because then you've got issues issues with thieving or miscalculation or whatever but it is really difficult and I think the price conscious part is really hard you know you see the um the people like source bulk um what are they called source bulk foods the you know yes. the bulk food sort of places mm. that are popping up which are fantastic but they're not cheap you know to, mm. but they'd be able to source that for the layperson that's not really achievable which is sort of odd if you think about it because <laughs> to me bulk should be cheaper because then you know you haven't got packaging and packaging costs actually cost money it costs heaps so yeah. i think well where are they buying this stuff how cheap is it compared to the bulk stuff and well i know that a lot of the bulk places i mean i think there is a place for organic products definitely but a lot of them are organic so i think mm. the price um tag is attached with there because they know that the people that are probably more aware of the problem or taking it in their stride uh, are the people that will be conscious of organic and so they're going to pay the premium for it i guess so yeah, so that's where I kind of started doing it and trying to, um, obviously in an apartment we didn't have compost sort of ability, so I was taking compost to the preschool to put in their compost <laughs> and all of those kinds of things. But what I came across, it was really, really hard, just the things we're mm. discussing, to be able to reduce that plastic um, impact. I mean, there's some really de like definite ways that we were able to um, take that on board, and we still do a lot of them now, um, but by no means were we zero waste. It was almost near impossible with young children, and definitely. how far did you get, though? Like, uh, you made some... Serious inroads, obviously. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I, I guess the greatest determinant of it is just looking at what, how regularly you're going to the garbage bin. You know, we reduced from composting everything. Compost is a huge thing. I've seen a lot of fruits and vegetables and stuff, but that took a lot of um, waste out of our bin. Um, I was still getting stuff like with recycling because of things like milk and stuff like that. But by trying to go to the markets or to the bulk shops and stuff like that, I mean, we got our waste down by at least three quarters, at least. Because we were, wow. we, yeah, I even reduced my bin size. We used to have a big bin and I reduced the bin size to make and, it smaller because I was leaving there and it was starting to smell. Are you still on the reduced bin size or have you... I'm still on reduced bin size, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I haven't... I've sort of relaxed a little bit in mm. terms of doing stuff, um, but I'm still hyper-aware. I still get 
depressed every time or get really anxious if I'm going to be using plastic. It makes you kind of upset. Yeah, convenience is is a is a big part of this. It's it, it, I mean there are a lot of there are a lot of culprits I suppose, but the cold chain requirements, the yeah. the, the supermarket requirements, um, even even health and safety regulations yeah. with food safety regulations. Yeah. I mean they're probably been the biggest. Um, contributed to plastic waste, yeah. cryovacking everything, yeah. portion control. You know, we never had that in the old days. You'd go to the butcher and buy yeah. buy meat in bulk, wrapped in paper, you know, not allowed to do that anymore. No, nah, you know, yeah. George, you're right. It's the supply chain. I mean, coming from that processed food kind of um, world that I came from previously, you know, I worked with big food companies and see, you know, you've got from an economical business perspective, you've got the one hub and the main warehouse mm. and you ship it out. Mm. To ship it out, it needs to be packaged. It needs to be controlled. It needs to be part of the logistical sort of supply chain. Um, and I guess then that then starts to speak the thing of, well, you know, we talk about this local sort of produce kind of thing and it brings it back to a bit like that. Do we need to kind of have that kind of crash so that we can come back to local, you know? And I truly believe that as a consumer, we really can make a difference as an in, and a, as an individual. And that's what I, if I get a little bit upset about things or think, oh, I'm not really making a difference. One person really can make a difference. Well, you made a big difference. Yeah. And if every family it cut back on, on its waist by three quarters. Yeah. Or even half. Even half. Even, even, even a quarter. quarter. Even just a little bit. Mm, the floor one effect is huge. It, it huge. is huge. Huge. But you found that obviously you couldn't take plastics out of the equation. Either. No, it's really hard, yeah. especially the convenience factor with having, I've got three children, eight, six next week um, and two and a half. Yeah. And, you know, so much stuff for children comes in plastic or if you're out and they were really, really thirsty. So it was more of, and it's the convenience factor is that you really need to plan and prepare. And I think we do live in this world where we just... Grab and go. God, grab and go and think, work. And I think that thinking about it, it, you've got to think ahead. I've noticed yeah. um, for myself, um, my daughter plays tennis. She always gets hot. She always forgets her water bottle. Um, I'm thinking, get her to the tennis court on time. Yeah. And then it's like, I've got no water. So, therefore, what do you do? Do you go into the toilets and drink out of the tap or do you go to the fridge and buy a bottle of plastic water yeah and it's i understand why everybody because we're all moving at such a fast pace yeah that people don't have time or but i think, think the thing is i think the the thing of time is sort of a bit of i know everyone's busy but it's mm. kind of a sense of an, like it's this made up kind of mm. thing as well because if you stop and plan for something I remember working and be like we need to prepare before we go into the project and you know if you stop prep it saves you time and and mm. money and and your health and everything long term we don't live in a preventative culture we live in a responsive kind of reactionary mm. sort of reactive sort of culture if we can prevent or prepare so so much in the long, long well, run well tell me then I mean you seem to be very passionate but what's your mission in life <laughs> to be happy, no. no um, save the world. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't do that in your Oprah voice. No, I want to be happy. I don't think I could do an American voice. Uh, I love food, so I guess my thing is really I, I, I don't know what my mission in life is. I have my mission for like for my work and for my family. Oh, no, let me let me f phrase it differently. Yeah. What really lights you up? People. I love people. And I really would love people to love each other. And I think if we love each other, we'll respect each other. If we know each other, 
um, and that with with the world and the environment. I think, yeah, probably people and the world. People mm -hmm. and, and the world. Yeah, definitely. I, do, I love people. I think everyone's amazing and everyone inherently is good. Um, things happen in life and people learn different things or react to different things and then the way they behave might be different. But deep down, if you believe in people, they will always be good. Really, they're always just trying to do the good th a good thing. So, well, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good probably... motto to have. That is a very good yeah. motto. But uh, you know, getting back to finding you um, through that article, I I, I was curious because your article read very well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I was and I was excited by it, and I thought, oh, I've got to I've got to check out who this person is, right? Uh -huh. And then I then your bio popped up. I mean, tell us a little bit about. Well, things actually, you've been yes. yeah the, okay. look we've got the book in front of us right well so let's let's book. talk about the book first uh, well the book so. is kind of a culmination of all of my kind of work history or and what I believe um, personally and then also from what I've worked with it all kind of ties into one but my book is very much about so my book is called at my family table and it's a children's storybook um, and I love people nice. it smells nice I love the smell of books <laughs> it smells of bananas and apples and carrots Oh, my. <laughs> no, no, you're looking at the cover, George, <laughs> the inside cover. Is that, is that you? On no, that's, that's my daughter, Maya. Oh, okay. Yeah, so all it's right. four families um, from around the world, um, and it's all about well, my background being nutrition. I work in sort of community health with young mm. families and schools and things like that. And we sometimes overcomplicate things in the world of nutrition. It's a very in thing to be talking about. But if we mm. come back to the basics um, and research supports this, that if a family eats together even just three times a week, um, the benefits and flow and effect um, of health for the children and the family, both nutritionally and emotionally, will improve dramatically. You get a higher in, um, increased intake of fruit and vegetables, varied food groups and things like that. And I think we just focus so much on the sort of details and fear-mongering and marketing of food that we don't realise that if we just eat together at the family table, we you will be healthier. The amount of people that said to me, how do you eat at the dinner table all the time, especially young? I guess we're the sort of demographic that I'm in. I'm 35 and my husband's 37. And, um, and now, you know, we've got people, both two people are working in professional jobs. I mean, I don't work full time, but two mm. people are working full time, um, rushing, picking up from childcare, getting home at 6.30. The kids are screaming, shove some food in their face, then put them to bed and then have dinner by yourself. Like the, the amount of people that I come across that are doing that and just surviving to get through the week to then get to the weekend, I, I really don't think many people are eating at the table. Or if you've got young sort of primary school or teenage children doing sports and extracurricular activities, I think people might be eating at the table. They might not necessarily be eating together mm. um, or they might be just rushing through it or they might have... Um, uh, smart devices or phones or things going on at the thing. They're not interacting. Well, they may not have prepared. They're not prepared the food. They're the convenience yep. factor. Mm. Uh, they're just not really present. And I think the whole thing is about being present. So mm. from a health perspective, eating, obviously that's really important to digest your food. Be mindful of what you're eating so you know how much you've eaten from terms of not eating too much. Um, but also the sort of emotional aspect, connecting together with someone as, you know, as the children grow older. They know every night... 
or, you know, I come home to my family. Mm. And, of course, you might have a grunter that just grunts back at you or whatever. <laughs> I haven't quite reached that yet because my, my, yeah, my children still like me at the moment. But, you know, just being there and knowing that they've got that space. And I think a lot of you're very fortunate that you have mm. that with your family and had that with your family. I actually didn't grow up in a family that ate together on a weeknight because my father would come home late and my mother would eat with my father. So I would eat with my brother. Um, mm. And often we'd eat watching Home and Away. To my mother's dismay, she loves that we eat, I eat at the family table now, but still it was very much in my home that we didn't eat during the week together. And um, we did during the weekend. We were very social as a family and things like that. Um, but I think that's a really special time to come together. And breakfast as well. I don't eat with my husband at night time, but we have breakfast every morning together, so that's our special time. Do you, do you think that um, because of that and the... Uh, the um, how do I say it? The um, phenomenon of health foods has taken off because people think, well, if I eat kale and I grab some vitamins, that makes up for the lack of sitting at the table and eating proper food. I think, well, the health thing is like, that's just so convoluted. One mm. of the things I think the health food thing is because it's marketable yeah. and people want to sell something. Mm. Um, and we love a fad and we love fear. Fear markets a lot of stuff. Mm. And with food and all of that, it's I think it's a real fear-mongering thing. I think if we, you know, Michael Pollan, the sort of political kind of scientist of uh, defence of food, you know, he talks about... Um, uh, la, 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 what does he talk about? <laughs> he talks about lots of things. Mm. Uh, but if we just, if we ate what our grandmother ate, then then that's a good good choice. I always say that to, yeah. often say it to George, you know, like how did we ever survive? Yeah, Because exactly. now if, we, if you're not eating, you know, you're either gluten-free, you know, and I know that, that there's a lot around that. There's and, space for that, of course, there, yeah. And there's, and there's a space for, for all of it. But just eating it for the sake of eating it because it's a trend and gluten-free is the new thing, isn't good nutrition, is no. it, really? No, everybody's unique. Uh, I'm very thankful I don't have any food allergies in our house, so I don't have to be mindful of that every single day. I have many friends who have severe allergies. Mm. Um, there's a lot of intolerances. I think then you've got the whole discussion of nutritional science as well. That's such a new area of science and one really difficult to ethically um, and scientifically prove, um, you know, because humans are the subject, so there's a huge ethical and moral mm. implication of testing on humans. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a marketing person's delight, isn't it? It is, but it's not scientifically rigorous. You know, we, we don't live in a box. Um, we live in an environment with so many different kind of factors going on, so it's very difficult to be able to test something um, and to prove different sort of nutritional science theories. But it's definitely something that's marketable, and fear does market things. And mm. I think if we just went back to basics, I mean, I love food, and I try everything, and I love fancy food and basic food, but we eat so simply mm. at home. I'm not fancy at all and what we cook, well, just well, really basic. But that, that um, well, that belies what's in this book. I mean, the purpose of writing this book... Yeah, it's to remind people to come together as a family and then it's got the multicultural aspect. My yeah. husband's Brazilian, my brother's wife is Chinese um, and I love people from around the world and we live in a country that is technically multicultural, although not always accepting of other cultures. So moving moving right along. Yeah. Okay. So what's the next uh, what's the next step for for you, Mandy? For me, yeah. So 
Well, for work-wise, so um, I have a little company called Little People Nutrition. Yes. And that's all about nurturing mm. the love of food and really very much in that sort of early years, so preschool and early primary. And I guess when I went to Melbourne for, for a boy, um, I came across Stephanie Alexander's Kitchen Garden Program. That's the first time I sort of knew about Stephanie Alexander, and she's just awesome uh, and always thought that that would be an amazing thing to be able to do how could I do that um, and used to think that maybe because I used to, used to work in cafes and restaurants and stuff maybe I could have a cafe and have the cooking at the back or whatnot um, but now I've kind of you know I, I remember it's just a statistic of saying 75% or 80% of children are in some kind of formal um, childcare or something like that so it's a great way to be able to access children so that was another reason why I wrote the book stories children love stories mm. um, and if you can talk about something in a way that's enjoyable for them and they have a learning out of it then that's fantastic as well so I go into childcares and preschools and early primary I read my book but um, I do a lot of cooking with them so using cooking as a way to I mean, there's so many learning outcomes from cooking, not just mm. the nutritional implication from it. There's science, math, languages, history, geography. Um, and then there's obviously nutritional things. And also, um, you know, we have a lot of children that sort of present as being fussy. So it's a way for them to be able to engage in food and the senses and sensory and stuff like that. So we do a lot of sort of cooking with the children. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. And then also creating resources like the book. Um, I'm going to do some music with a friend of mine. Um, like I am that. not a singer at all but recently I was singing do you remember the song and I totally forgot this song until I had to google on top of spaghetti you're covered in cheese I, I lost my poor meatball yeah. when somebody sneezed do you no, remember, remember that no. you might be I, I a bit say, too old to, for me I, I for the song. different songs do you hear what she just said we might be a bit too oh old. no well I've been in the child environment <laughs> with some of the, the ladies they're like 20 I'm like you won't know this song because no, you're way you younger than me I think but, you know I know the Wiggles all the Wiggles songs yeah but that's because of your children yes okay no, no, <laughs> but no, this no, song was around no, when no, I was in primary school I remember it was actually it was a Cubs a cub song oh was it was it Cubs and scouts. I still remember the, the Mortine ads. You don't. <laughs> Louis the Fly. I know Louis, Louis the Fly. The fly. It's yeah. Louis and, the Fly. And, and, and the Vegemite song. Yeah, we're happy. The yeah, dog. you wouldn't know that. But I know that song. Come on. That's oh, just like sure. a, that's Australiana. <laughs> that's like, that's as, as Australian as a Hills Hoist and the Bloody Yeah, Martin, exactly. Okay, but this other one isn't, right? Uh, yeah, and sneeze. Hachoo! It yeah. rolled off the table yeah. and onto the floor. Anyway, so I was singing this song to the children and it was unbelievable, the engagement that I had with these children. Because they're like, what the... No, who is this woman? What is she singing? Her voice Where is horrible. Where did my mother go? <laughs> but they just loved the music. And then, so one of my, uh, a new friend of mine, um, she's a musical therapist, but also a musician. And then she actually told me that children, that well, not just children, everybody, music goes through a different neural pathway. Mm. So to be able to engage with the children, they can learn something that they might not learn through your voice or from touching, but through the music. So we're going to combine together and do some food songs. So how do people get in touch with you? Oh, www.littlepeoplenutrition.com.au. There you go. Have you ever thought of being a voiceover lady? <laughs> that was not voiceover lady worthy. Can you slow that down and repeat that again? <laughs> yes. Just so Little People Nutrition, yeah, you can search that on Facebook or yeah. on Instagram. That's And that's great. me. And your, your mission then is to help people improve... Their family nutrition? Yes, yeah, so family. Family family and children. Really really children, I guess. I'm mm. trying to start at the children, but family as well. I want to support the family because cool. they're the ones that feed the children. If you had one piece of advice for families or mums and dads, mm. what would it be? Don't have kids. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that, that's a good start. But I, but, but I said mums and dads. So they've, already, they've already got kids. Yeah, yeah that's right? too late. If it's in regards Send to food. Send them back. Well, no, just, just if you had one piece of advice, it can be from anything you like, what would it be? What was the best piece of advice you got from your pe- from anyone? Like, you know, what would it be? Answer my oh, question. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but the best piece of okay. advice is you are doing a good job. Right. You're doing good. Okay, that's Believe good. in yourself. You're doing yeah. good. And what's the best piece of advice you ever got? Oh, probably it's a phase. <laughs> it's all a phase. It's a phase. It's yeah, phase. <laughs> that's what I. My mother. That's yeah, what that's I said to my daughters. When, yeah. when I said I wanted to be a musician, I think. My oh, she said that's said, a phase. It's just a phase you're going through. You don't <laughs> really want to do that. You want to be in the bank or whatever. Oh. So I took music. And who would have been the most inspirational person you've ever met? Oh. Oh, Lordy. That's, gee, that's out of left field, George. I know, well because you, you seem to be um, Oh, but I love lots of people, though. And, oh. and, and, you know, <clears> we okay. tend to be energised by... If you love lots of people, top five, then. Oh, well, I love Michael Pollan. I think he's amazing. Yeah. Um, he, I love reading his books, and I love the depth that he goes into. Stephanie Alexander is an amazing person. Um, I love what she does in the food space. Um, and I love Mem Fox, the children's oh, illustrator. Yeah, yeah, just because she's done some really interesting sort of political kind of stories, mm-hmm. which I've really enjoyed. I love her I'm Australian, her mm-hmm. one of her recent books. Um, <laughs> who else do I okay. love? Rosemary no, Stanton, another nutritionist. Another question. Apart <clears throat> from your book, mm. what's your favourite book? I, do you know, it's funny, I don't really read novels anymore. I read novels with the children. Mm. Um, I, live, I love um, non-fiction now, so I like to sort of read a lot of non-fiction because I find it easier to be able to pick up and put down with kids. Um, well, what are you reading at the moment? No, well, I'm not. I'm reading my daughter's book. <laughs> an, an, I'm an Australian girl, an Australian girl series. It's a great series, by the way, if you've got an eight-year-old. Yeah, it's right. quite historic. Really? Um, yeah, it is. It looks at, like, different... So we've read four, and it's one was a convict girl who came out from England, one's an Aboriginal girl, one's a, a sort of First World War girl, one's a 1900 girl, and they're very historical. So they're really good, the Australian girl, and they're beautiful. They come with a little clasp. The so Australian my, girl. Yeah, the Australian girl series. We're about to get Pippi Longstockings. That's what's coming I for like Christmas Pippi for one of my girls, so I'm looking forward to that book. I'm enjoying the kids' books, actually, see, to I, be honest. Well, see, I'm the same. I love Oh, The Places You'll Go. Yeah. That's such a wonderful book. Anyway, so songs. Before we songs. go, your favourite song. Well, I'll say this in in respect to my father, the gambler, Kenny We're Rogers. We're going to go with the gambler. Aren't yeah, we? love the gambler. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. Story of my relationships. <laughs> no other people when they see you. <laughs> <laughs> Their relationship with you, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so horrible. <laughs> Mandy, yeah. thanks for coming Mandy, in. It's been a Thank pleasure. you, George. And, Thank uh, you, Brett. Uh, let's hope that uh, there's people out there, our listeners that, are, that have families and kids that sit tonight, sit together with their family and enjoy a Friday night meal. Beautiful yes. lamb on a spit. Lamb on a spit, fresh fredder, cucumbers. <sighs> It's funny, I was thinking of barbecue because my wife's away, as I was saying before, and um, I think, what am I going to have with the kids tonight? And I thought, maybe I'll put the barbecue on. See, we love to cook. Yeah, so, it's lovely. So it's a great thing. Thank Thanks you. for coming in. Thank, Thank you, you, Mandy. Thank you. On a warm summer's evening, 
On a train bound for nowhere I met up with a gambler We were both too tired to sleep So we took turns of staring Out the window at the darkness Till boredom overtook us And he began to speak He said, son, I've made a life Out of reading people's faces Knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind my saying I can see you're out of aces For a taste of your whiskey I'll give you some advice So I handed him my bottle And he drank down my last swallow Then he bummed a cigarette And asked me for a light And the night got deathly quiet And his face lost all expression Said if you're gonna play the game, boy You gotta learn to play it right You got to know when to hold them Know when to fold them Know when to walk away And know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done Every gambler knows That the secret to surviving Is knowing what to throw away Knowing what to keep Cause every hand's a winner And every hand's a loser And the best that you can hope for Is to die in your sleep And when he finished speaking He turned back toward the window Crushed out his cigarette Faded off to sleep And somewhere in the darkness The gambler he broke even But in his final words I found an ace that I could keep You got to know when to hold them Know when to fold them Know when to walk away And know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done You got to know when to hold them When to hold Know when to fold them Know when to walk away And know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough for counting When the dealing's done You got to know when to hold up